Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. I'm Cheryl Esposito. Today, I have a very special guest, Vasen Kalajian, who is a dear friend and over the years has shown me the value of brand with heart. So Voskin is a co-founder and global head of design and branding for Learning Learning Architects. He's CEO of TK Brand. He's author of Brand Real, the Startup Entrepreneur's Guide to Effective Branding and Building Values-Based Organizations. And he co-founded the Tribe Global Network. Vaskin, welcome to Leading Conversations. Well, uh, thank you, Cheryl, and uh, good morning, and uh, really appreciate for this opportunity to be here with you. It's great to have you here today. So, we're going to talk a bit about your life, and which to me is very intriguing, and um, kind of how you've shaped yourself in this world to uh, bring your heart to your art and to the world communications. Um, I've always been impressed with your capacity to see beyond um, what's right in front of everybody. You know, in the world of branding and communications, it seems like it's so cutthroat and um, people are always chasing, you know, what's most exciting, what's, what's uh, going to get attention, and you've added an element to that that um, really speaks to the spirit. And having actually experienced this with you, where you take your customers in on a deep journey into identifying personal values, um, understanding what the core of the message is that the business and the individual want to communicate, this is a this is very different um, from the old stories of you know some branding and advertising agency um, going away thinking up all these wild ideas coming back and saying here this is what you need it's so different from that how did you decide that that was the way that branding and design needed to happen? Well, that's a great. Great question, Cheryl, and um, I'm equally impressed and deeply um, honored the way you work with the leaders and uh, all these uh, meaningful conversations you have been uh, having for more than a decade, which uh, I enjoy listening to. And uh, just the way you work, your transformational power is something I've always honored, uh, respect, and uh, we have so many shared values, which uh, one of them is this uh, lifelong search of understanding the world and making it better. Uh, And this search uh, always starts with uh, me, with the self. It's an inside job. So we've been on this path together for quite some time. So uh, I can say that um, it all started really uh, just as a you know, I call myself a simple boy from Aleppo because I was born in Aleppo, Syria. And uh, 
I started a simple boy, and I always say I will die a simple boy or a man. And in between, and I have <laughs> this opportunity in between these two points to fill it with uh, some good things, have fun, and enjoy enjoy myself. So the upbringing that I had is very different than, uh, let's say, your average uh, p- person. Uh, it was it was really something that uh, grew in me this uh, um, need for understanding values and uh, having clear set of values to work with in life because things uh, were very challenging and difficult, you know, uh, my family life and uh, living in Aleppo, Syria, you know, as you know, it's a very turbulent part of the world. And uh, so the things that you could really rely on were few. And, and one of them were really having clear, uh, clear values. Um, and uh, the uh, other thing I can say is that because my father was, uh, he himself was a, a survivor at, at age seven with his mother, they had to escape uh, the genocide. And uh, as refugees, that's how they ended up in Syria. And he had to start working at a very early age and take care of his mother and so on. Uh, imagine like having to become a man at age seven. Um, so his yeah. legacy to us, the three boys, was to pass this on to us, this uh, uh, capacity to be self-reliant. And uh, also uh, he made us each learn three different traits. And each trade, we were, uh, he sent us to learn a trade for three years. And after that, he said, okay, that's enough. Now go to learn another trade. So he mm. had this way of, uh, his thinking was that he was going to make us self-reliant. So no matter what happened in the world, uh, circumstances, we would always land on our feet, be able to take care of ourselves because we had these trades. So from age 8 mm. to 11, I was forced to uh, learn his trade, which is making shoes. So I know how to make shoes, mm. custom-made shoes from leather. And then once mm-hmm. I was 11, he said, okay, that's enough. Now you're going to go learn how to uh, learn jewelry. So I went to apprentice with a master uh, jeweler, melting gold and making bracelets and things like that. And uh, after two or three years, he said, okay, now you're you, you going to go learn the diamond business, how to set diamonds, polish diamonds, which is a very intricate job like dentistry. So all these things, uh, while I was learning, by doing, it really expanded my consciousness and also grew my attention because each one required tremendous amount of focus, like we developed mm-hmm. this kind of laser-sharp focus. Uh, it's, uh, it was a great practice for later on for meditation. So meditation came very natural to me because I really knew how to totally focus my mind on one thing. So this is sort of like the beginning uh, of how it all started. Well, and, and each one of those arenas um, is an arena, it's an opportunity to create beauty. And I, I absolutely see that in your work. It comes through so clearly and so naturally. And, and just to go back, the genocide you're referring to is um, the genocide that occurred in Armenia. And um, being Armenian of Armenian descent um, and living in Syria 
and growing up in Syria. And then fast forward to today and the last couple of decades where the conflict and um, devastation in Syria and specifically Aleppo um, has pretty much um, your city has just about disappeared. How is, is that for you? What, what effect has that had on you? Well, on one hand, of course, it's very painful. Uh, my heart and prayers are always with the uh, Syrian people. And uh, I have tears when I think about it. But uh, to just imagine this ancient, beautiful ancient city with all this amazing architecture, one of the oldest souks, uh, which is the covered mar- uh, markets and all this ancient uh, antiquities and mosques and churches and the citadel, all this stuff that, that predates all the civilizations that we know, just being destroyed. It's very painful yeah. on one hand. On the other hand, also to see how um, uh, it's not that history repeats itself. I, I don't think I like that saying that history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. It's just that uh, unconscious people repeat same stupid uh, actions over and over again, and uh, either they forget that it didn't work before, or they think that by repeating the same thing, they're going to have this different results. So either yeah, way, yeah. I think it's just un- unconscious uh, actions on our part. But uh, it 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 gives me this sense of compassion because in. With my father as a seven-year-old and my grandmother as survivors escaping the Turkish genocide, you know, they were killing all, all the Christian population at that time. Greeks yeah. and Armenians had to go. So they end up in Syria, and the Syrian people, Arab people, Muslim people, they took the Christian refugees and they helped them survive. And that's why I'm here, because of the kindness mm. of the Syrian people. So now... You know, uh, we see how uh, Syrians are treated, and it breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I find about you, Voskin, is in general, you're a very happy person, and um, not in a way that um, you avoid conflict or um, the reality of the world, but you choose to um, bring yourself to where you can create something meaningful. And in that, that creates a, a happiness for you. But it's not necessarily easy because I know that you are dedicated to your spiritual life, which includes meditation, which includes um other times of contemplative work, and um, and always searching for the deeper level of who you are. I would say that um, most people who are in the field of um, international branding are not like you. Most people who are in this field are really operating from a, a, a much um, more, um, what's the word, on the surface, the surface level, right? And 
what I what I wonder is um, as you are as you have created this opportunity, and, and and by the way, you know I have to say the the history of your career is storied, and you began your career at what most people in the world will recognize um, at NBC, National Broadcast Company Corporation, Universal, and um, and you were there starting out as a, as a designer and um, art director and then creative director, and you became head of the network's marketing and promotion department. And at that time, you actually rebranded NBC. And, you know, as we know NBC today, I mean, it, it is, um, continues to be an anchor um, broadcast network for the U.S., and it's becoming more um, well-known around the world. Um, but the whole concept of um, the brand, NBC Sports, um, NBC Olympics, NBC Late Night, um, you know, even Saturday Night Live. You were involved in all the branding and the launching of, of a lot of those um, endeavors. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to me to think of you working in those arenas and just quietly infusing your own values of um, authenticity and beauty and, um, you know, really wanting to create something of value for the customer. Um, Just quietly doing that without making a big deal out of it. Did you ever have the experience where people looked at you and thought, um, you're, you're different from other people we've worked with. What are you talking about? Why should we be doing this this way? You ever had that experience? <laughs> Often, uh, Cheryl, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, that has been a common uh, occurrence in my life. Um, in the beginning of my life early on, of course, the two parts were uh, separated. Like, I didn't uh, really in any way, like the spiritual, let's say, <laughs> for lack of a better word, or this inner inquiry, the meditation, the, uh, I mean, just the fact that as a 13 and a half, 14 year old, I arrive in America, uh, an immigrant. I don't speak any English, just learning and teaching myself how to speak English, trying to navigate this whole new culture, right? And uh, I come across this hippie girl on the street who's selling all her belongings to collect enough money to go and join some ashram in India. And then I buy this book from her for five cents. The title of the book is TM, Transcendental Meditation by Maharishi Yogi. <laughs> and with a, with a dictionary, I read this book from cover to cover and I practice every little thing. Now, why was I attracted to that? Who knows? I mean, I could say that Growing up with a very religious mother and very pragmatic uh, father, my father was all about, you know, even though he had us learn all these trades, he would always say to me, uh, I could choose anything I want in life. 
but whatever I choose, just to make sure I turn it into an art form. In other words, don't just do something for the money and do something mm. just good enough or uh, uh, accept mediocrity. Whatever it is I choose, it doesn't matter. Just make sure I turn it into an art form. So that was kind of like what I grew up with, and I took that to heart. And then on the other hand, I had this uncle who was a machinist who made tools and dyes and all these things, and he was so precise. Everything had to be the hundredth of a millimeter precision. So you have mm. this thing. And then you have a mother who is constantly making us read the Bible, and uh, it's about uh, God, it's about Jesus, about all these, all these things. So you have this two worlds. And then my father was very skeptical of uh, the church and of politics and everything, because obviously he saw uh, all the devastation and the pain and the suffering in the name of politics and nationalities and uh, religions that he had to endure. So now fast forward, I come to America where now all the trades that I learned are just kind of a toolbox for me, a little tool in my toolbox. I decide mm-hmm. that I want to pursue my education in college. And then I have this great teacher in high school who recognizes the talent in me, and she encourages me. Uh, her name is, is Joan Dutieri, a wonderful Hungarian woman, and she encourages me to pursue art. So, uh, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking art is painting and sculpting and drawing, which I was very good at. Uh, but then I go to Pratt, all of a sudden I discover this whole other world of communications, marketing, and and graphic design, and advertising, and public relations, and I just gobble all of this, and I'm thinking that, well, I like art, but I don't want to be a starving artist, you know, because at Mm -hmm. that time, you know, in the 70s, you know, I saw the way artists lived lived in Soho, in these, you know, uh, decrepit lofts and everything, and I said, well, I really don't want that. I want the, the good American uh, life. You know, I want to have a good life. Mm-hmm. And, and this was such a perfect hybrid for me that I can uh, apply all my talents. At the same time, just, you know, all the psychology and understanding uh, how people think and feel and how you could convince people about colors and shapes, all these wonderful things that I learned at practice in amazing, it still is amazing school. So, and because of necessity, I had to put myself through college. I had to work. So I chose Pratt for that reason. My art teacher had given me five applications to apply to all these great art schools, like Cooper Union, the School of Visual Arts, and RISD, and all these, like, all these schools. I applied to all of them. I got accepted to all of them. But I chose Pratt because I saw that Pratt had this history of turning out people, and it was a school of learning by doing. I didn't want to go to some mm. theoretical place, even though my parents wanted me to become a doctor. <laughs> and, and I didn't <laughs> want to be, my art teacher said, you'll be, you'll be, uh, you'll be a good doctor, but you'll be miserable. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, uh, I chose art really because my art teacher convinced me to go to art school. And I chose Pratt because mm. it was the best school where this idea of learning by doing was present. And I could also hop on a subway, go to Manhattan and work because I needed to work to put myself through college. So I worked mm. at jobs that made sense to me. I, my first job was to work for a printer because I really wanted to learn the printing industry. Because at that time, if you didn't know printing, you couldn't create designs and ads and billboards and things like that. 
Then I, I yes. went after that, I wanted to learn packaging. So I went to and worked at a packaging company and doing all this award-winning packages for Bloomingdale's and all these great brands. Then I said, wait, wait, I'm interested in architecture because I had all these great architecture friends. Pratt has a great architecture, architecture school. And I got a job at an architectural firm right next to the same building as IMP and working in the late 70s and all those buildings that were going up in Dubai and all those places, they were deserts, basically. Mm. And my job was basically to understand the company's uh, corporate identity and apply it to the physical building. And it was a great opportunity to learn with all these materials and architects. And I still love working with architects. And architecture is one of my mm-hmm. passions. So all of these things I was doing, it was sort of like, not planned in a way, but kind of like Forrest Gump, you know, going through life where as things happen, I take it and I do the best out of it. I wasn't overthinking things. Yes. I was just doing things out of necessity and always being driven by the values that my mother and father and the this thing that my father instilled in me about trades, learning by doing, and turning everything I do into art form. So everywhere I went, I people liked me and they promoted me. They wanted me to stay on. But I also remembered where he would say to me, three years was enough to... Think about it, Charles. Three years is what it takes to be a real good beginner. Any practice you take, whether it's meditation, Tai Chi, or Qigong, if you don't calligraphy or anything, if you don't practice diligently for three years, you're not a beginner. You can't go to a weekend <laughs> workshop and take a class in Tai Chi or something and think that you could become a Tai Chi, tai chi teacher. Mm. You can't, right? Three years is the minimum right. to be a beginner. So his Somehow he knew this. I guess this was kind of an ancient knowledge that was passed down amongst Armenians from, mm. they're one of the oldest people on this planet, you know, from, you know, this ancient antiquities, I guess. It was this learning by doing, and then, and then leaving something and going to the next thing and not being attached to it. And I wasn't attached to staying with the company just because they promised me promotion and great retirement. Right. You know? Right. So, so when, I, when I was working at the architectural firm, and while going to Pratt, it was my last year, I graduated, and I was contemplating what to do. I get a call from a headhunter, and the headhunter says, I have this great job for you. And I said, well, I already have a good job. <laughs> I didn't even know what a headhunter <laughs> was. You know, I was kind of naive immigrant kid, right? Just graduating, you know, yeah. working my ass off. And he and she says to me, "Well, I know you have a job, but this is a better job." So I said, "What's the job?" She goes, uh, "NBC needs someone like you who understands uh, materials and corporate identity." Because at that time we didn't use the word branding; we said corporate identity. Right. Because they want to they want to re re uh, do their corporate identity. I said, "Why? What's the problem?" Well, first I said, "What is NBC?" Because I didn't have a TV. I never watched the TV. <laughs> because watch television. So then I had to go to one of my uh, friends' house and turn the TV on and see what NBC was. It was midnight. It was Johnny Carson on, on NBC, and I'm watching and watching. I, I said, "Gee, you know, this is boring. Like, do I really want to do this?" So, but I forced myself to go to the interview. 
And like an immigrant mentality, I'm thinking that I'm going to take a day off from school uh, to spend the, um, and my job, and I have to spend a token to go to Manhattan to go to this interview. Might as well let me make the best of it. So I, I go to the uh, placement office at Pratt, and she tells me that, oh, my God, NBC, that's like the best place to work. Imagine, like, if you get an offer today from Google, right? It's kind of like that. Yeah. It's the golden age of broadcasting uh, at the time, but I didn't know anything about this. She goes, well, uh, so I go, what are other companies like NBC? She goes, well, there's ABC and there's CBS. There were three major networks. I said, well, I'd like to get appointments at those companies also, so mine as well in the same day. I could go visit all three. She looks at me like laughing. She goes, well, go in the Rolodex. There's uh, Henry Epstein at ABC and there's Lou Dorsen at CBS. See if you could get an appointment with them. Like She's laughing like I'll never get an appointment, right? I go outside in the Rolodex. I call all of them. I get an appointment. One asks the, uh, the other. I have a lunch break in, in between, and I have NBC in the afternoon. And I go to all oh appointments. They're all at Rockefeller Center, you know, 6th Avenue in Manhattan, near, uh, you know, near that area where all the networks used to be. Yes. And I, and I basically all see them offer me a job. But I really loved uh, NBC's building, 30 Rockefeller Plaza, with all the flags outside. And, uh, yeah. and it was just interesting the way I got that job. So now I'm working at NBC, and I'm learning about uh, television uh, and about how uh, research works and how demographics and psychographics, we're constantly everything that we're doing, creating, is based on research. And I'm loving this. And, and I'm noticing how, how every time something bad happens, our numbers with NBC News, they spike up. And I'm really interested in this. To see that every time oh. some suicide bomber or, or uh, Iran hostage crisis is going on at the time, John Lennon got shot, and, you know, all these things are going on at that time. And I'm seeing the numbers, and I'm seeing how our news department take those negative stories and run with it and keep building on for days and days and days, sometimes weeks. Like with the hostage crisis, there was so much money that news station made because of the viewership. They were all glued to the right. television wanting to see what was going on. So I'm seeing now as a young man, 24 years old, direct correlation, the way what is happening, the negativity, and how this is triggering something in human brain to be glued to this negativity. This is like it was a, one, of, I would say, one of the major aha moments. And right away there was something inside of me to say that, okay, this is all nice. They're offering me promotions and nice money here. And, at, and also 25 years old, I, I'm married. Uh, my father dies. And my wife is, three mo- uh, is pregnant. Three months later, I have a child. And I start my first company. And I'm waiting until my baby is born so that I get all the insurance from NBC. So then I want to leave NBC because I don't want to be part of this thing because I know slowly um, something in me will die. I see this. Wow. Now, how do I see this is I think goes back to my parents and my upbringing. Now, I leave NBC, and of course, they begged me to stay, and they gave me, you know how in big companies, to get a little measly 2 3 4% raise, you have to 
the your yeah. scores, especially by at that time, TV had bought NBC, and with Sigma, all the Sigma things and all the training that I had to go through, how to hire, how to fire, uh, you know, sexual discrimination, all these things. There were more trainings and being videotaped uh, than uh, than I was doing creative work, and then on top of it, uh, uh, the joy was run uh, t- being taken out, right? Mm. Because all of a sudden. Instead of being uh, RCA that left us alone, GE bought RCA because they were interested in RCA's military satellite contracts. But then all of a sudden we yeah. had to work like the way GE worked. And I, and I just wasn't interested. So I, yeah. and my company uh, that I was doing on the side with my partner at the time, was, we were doing so well that I didn't need the insurance from NBC. So I left and I started my own company with just the idea that I could choose my own clients. But in the beginning, of course, most of our clients were all these new cable TV networks were popping up, like HBO and Showtime and all these. And then I said, well, I'm not tired of this. Like we did the Live 8 for ABC, the whole Live 8 concert. It was a huge deal. Oh, wow. And we had ABC as a client, and we had CBS as a client. We had HBO. And then I said, okay, that's enough. I'm going to expand to other businesses like banks, financial institutions, you know, different types of companies. And then technology was big then, the 80s. You know, so I had a lot of Japanese clients, you know, like Panasonic and Sony and Canon, all those companies. And then uh, food companies like Coca-Cola and Unilever. So then... Then, then my heart started to to change, and I started to, you know, after working with hundreds of big companies, working on all these brands, and then you see that you're making these big companies rich, which is fine, because that's all about one of my values, is to create value. I love to go into an organization and create value for them. I love doing that. Right. Um, but then I said, wait, I'm helping big companies, but small companies is really what drives our economy and and the small companies, the startups is what really needs my expertise, but they can't afford to hire me. So I had to kind of change uh, my uh, trajectory and the way I was thinking and doing things. And this is where uh, my wife Jacqueline said, you know, you have to write a book because if someone can't afford mm-hmm. to hire you, at least they can read the book and learn about all these things and bring in all your colleagues and experts in different topics. And this is how this book grew, just to give all the tools and everything I've learned in my entire life, working with these big companies, to give it to the young companies, young startups, young CEOs, so that they know how these things are done, how they should be done, and uh, they could do it themselves, or at least know how it's done. So if they want to hire someone when they have the money, they also know how to watch the people who are doing it because often there are a lot of medi- mediocre people masquerading as specialists and experts. Right. right. And that's the right. problem. In and the book, that you're re- the book that you're referring to is called Brand Real. And we're going to talk more about this book because it is amazing. Um, oper- it is an amazing um, book of um, insight for startups and for entrepreneurs. And um, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to learn more from Boston Collegian. We'll be right back.
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Escobedo with my very special guest today, Voskin Kalajian. So, Voskin, um, among your many successes, um, you have written a book called Brand Real, The Startup Entrepreneur's Guide to Effective Branding and Building Values-Based Organizations. You say that um, successful brands must be built on reality. And so, as you mentioned earlier, um, the products and services that are delivered have to add real value for your customers. And the other thing that you mentioned is that um, the way these organizations do business has got to reflect their own personal values as an entrepreneur. and the values that the enterprise holds and the people who work for it. Um, When you got into this field and started identifying this as a way of doing business, um, talk to us about how, what the response was from people who were your clients. Well, um, Everything I do is very personal. Uh, by what well, by that I mean is it's driven by my own personal values. Let's say, mm-hmm. and I always, uh, whenever I work with uh, companies and CEOs, and uh, let's say helping them rebrand or uh, restructure, you know, brand architecture or company grows and they have a lot of divisions and the brand doesn't make sense anymore. They need the restructuring and all works like that. I would take them through this uh, value exercise and they always, uh, in the beginning, they uh, um, don't like it. Uh, they, they think it's mm-hmm. a waste of time or, uh, or why, why do we have to do that? What does it have to do with uh, mm-hmm. our company brand? We're XYZ company. All we, all we want you to do is just structure us so that 
you know, this company uh, out here and the other company out there, people know that it's part of the same structure, architecture, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I would yeah. say, well, just, 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 let's just do it. You know, it, it's only going to take X amount of your time, right? Let's just do it. So, and I always start with uh, their uh, uh, individual CEOs and the leadership uh, peoples, their own values. You know, and do that yeah. exercise with them, what their values are. And often they don't know, and then at the end they like it, and then it clarifies it, and then they, they have this aha moment, and then we go through the company. We do the same with the company, all the employees, from uh, the janitor and the parking garage attendant all the way to uh, C-suite and uh, uh, sometimes board members and so on. So... Uh, my personal values uh, have always been very clear to me, and that's kind of been my uh, guiding uh, post in my life. And uh, and uh, all the companies that I've worked with, uh, when when they when you see that their uh, values are clear, and it's not just some uh, uh, pie in the sky or some message on the wall or a tagline. That, like you said earlier, some agency uh, people who sat around the table drinking beer and just coming up with great ideas. It's really actually right. in reality, right? It's uh, right. not something that imposed like a rubber stamp. So my values have always been, you know, uh, like learning, exploring, and growing is one is important value for me. So everything mm. I do in my life is to learn, explore, and grow. And uh, growth is inner growth for me. And uh, the second one is always creating. And both branding and my art and now doing some writing is a part of that, creating. And the third right. has always right. been how to give it forward. And giving forward mm. could be bringing lessons uh, I've learned, sharing my experiences, the uh, teaching. I used to teach meditation from twenty over 20 years or so as a uh, you know, as a service to the community, my painting, uh, and brand real, this book for entrepreneurs is part of my giving it forward. So, um, I, uh, I, uh, thought that I would start with branding and it's called brand real, uh, for a reason that it needs to be, yeah. uh, rooted, uh, rooted, um, in, reality and truth. Yes. Uh, so um, it's not just enough to say someone, okay, uh, do X, Y, Z, and then uh, you're going to have a great uh, brand or you could make this claim and then say to someone that this iPhone is a great uh, product, yet when I take it, it's full of glitches. So I could fool someone once with a shiny packaging and clever taglines and ads and these uh, banners that pop up on my screen. But when the experience that I have with that brand is not truthful, it's not real, then uh, uh, the reputation, the damage, the reputation that you lose is uh, very difficult, very expensive to fix. Mm -hmm. And we have many examples of this with companies like Toyota and Volkswagen. And in the past, you have like uh, BP and Union Carbide with things that they've gone through, how uh, difficult it is to, and expensive it is to fix 
a, a, a problem like that, reputation right. problem. I think well, and that, you know, that makes me think them. about how when you go through this exercise, um, you know, when I when I work with CEOs and their organizations, um, I always make a distinction between um, the concept of, of this is what our company is, as they're saying, this is who we are, and then I say, well, then there's the way we um, get things done around here. And at first they say, well, no, that's the same, and I say, oh, no, it's not. And as we start digging in and we find that um, this image that the leadership has of the organization often is not the reality and not the values that the rest of the organization um, believes exist. And so it's um, quite a... Uh, it's quite a humbling experience for many leadership teams to experience this. And I imagine that you sometimes have that experience with your clients. They are surprised what they learn um, from the rest of the organization. True? That's right. That's right. It's, uh, and uh, often there's a gap between what they thought and what the reality of the situation is. There are uh, yeah. actually more and more companies nowadays are becoming much more aware and conscious of this and doing a very good job, you know, especially B companies, a uh, very good job in uh, having this seamless uh, uh, communication, let's say, in terms of uh, their realities. And, uh, and you don't see that this, this difference between uh, their yeah. internal brand or employer brand and their external-facing brand and products and services brand. So everything is seamless. To achieve this right. requires a lot of finesse. And often you right. see very diverse companies have a one face internally. Let's say employees are complaining or unhappy, and then outside they're portraying a different different face. So uh, Brand right. Real, uh, the book, uh, gives uh, an in-depth account of branding, which is a crucial factor, of course, with, uh, in the success of uh, any startup. And a, sk- a skillful branding is needed, uh, very much needed, more, more so than ever, uh, to establish yeah. a company's uh, real identity in the marketplace and to demonstrate uh, the value of uh, the company's products and services, or it could be a location like a business district and, and stuff because we also, I've also done a lot of location branding. And uh, to be able to communicate this seamlessly to all the stakeholders, whether they're customers and other stakeholders. Uh, and a major part of the book is uh, it investigates the strategy and the tactics of uh, successful branding, explaining what works and why based on uh, all this deep experience that I've had uh, and also other experts that I've brought in into the book, including you, Chapter 23, because, uh, you know, uh, the book has uh, 27 chapters and uh, seven appendix in the appendix. And the first 19 chapters, you could say, directly relates to what people think that branding is all about. For example, what is, how do you figure out, you know, what is the big idea, the values, yeah. the archetype, the vision, the mission, 
the strategy, how to, uh, the positioning statement, the elevator pitch, the tagline, how do you name your company, how do you protect intellectual property, uh, how do you do SWOT analysis. Uh, I mean, the whole chapter on naming itself uh, yes. is so valuable. And uh, how to um, uh, determine what archetype it is, is is really a fun exercise and a really important one. And how to build a brand architecture if you're going to have different services, different products, and so on. Uh, and then visual identity, the logo, the colors, and all that. There's a whole chapter uh, about that. And notice it comes much, much later because many people think that a brand is a logo or a color or a name. But when you look at the book, mm-hmm. we don't get into the logo until like chapter 13 because that's the least of my worries, the logo and the name, where a lot right. of startups jump right to the name and to the logo, which is really, yeah. uh, I don't think it's the right thing to do. And then we talk about things right. about globalization. We talk about uh, how do you create strong brands and uh, all of these things. Then what I found out is just this, just having a great startup with great brand, great name, all of the stuff and backing and the money and everything is not enough. So we added these uh, special uh, chapters in the book um, to deal with important topics such as resilience. Uh, An entrepreneur must have uh, to make his uh, new venture successful. How to bounce back from failure is really important part of that. And uh, chapter 21 talks about uh, how you can cultivate optimism and the kind of inner work that an entrepreneur needs needs to be doing, whether it's meditation or, uh, you know, eating healthy and sleep and cutting out the media and uh, news and negativity and so on to cultivate such thing as optimism to be able to uh, maintain the pressures of running a, a startup, an entrepreneur, uh, a company. Uh, and then well, you know, I see 20... Brand Real as, you know, a course in mastery for entrepreneurs. And, you know, really good entrepreneurs have mentors who help them know that, you know, it's not how good you are in this moment. It's how good you want to become. And then what is the uh, willingness for discipline that you have to create some mastery in your work and in yourself? And from that, you can, you know, do the work of building a robust brand and creating a healthy culture in your organization and creating an enterprise that really attracts the talent you need and, and the values that you want. Um, and, you know, I've seen this with you over and over and over again, and um, the book is evidence of your generosity to share this with the world and give it away. And I know you have been um, told by some people in the business, you know, are you crazy? You're giving them everything away that, you know, you could be charging money for, and you know, your perspective is different about that. Your willingness to be generous in this world um, is a philosophy that you have. Um, and I see how, you know, you have shared with me how putting it out there, it comes back many, many times over. And, you know, Vaskin, if more people were 
willing to stand in that philosophy and practice that in their lives and in their companies, um, I believe we would have a much better world. And I am so grateful, so grateful that you are demonstrating this, that you are willing to live your values. It is a real gift, and it is definitely something for young people to emulate. Thank you, Cheryl. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, and I agree uh, with what you said, uh, that um, uh, often um, people say that uh, they, they don't understand values or it's difficult for them to uh, grasp that how could something as simple as uh, having clear values will help them. But uh, really, at the end of the day, a diverse set of well-clarified values is what makes it uh, much easier to let go of the negative mental and emotional patterns mm. that uh, often these leaders find themselves. And, uh, right. and, and values are really something that they could fall back on. And uh, without values, they're lost and their companies are lost. I mean, we have, you know, many examples like Enron's and Wall Street. Look at Wall Street, yes. all these highly right. educated uh, MBAs from Harvard and all these top universities creating such uh, chaos in the world. Uh, that, if that's not an example, or, or all the wars or the condition of the planet, if these aren't an example, I don't know what else is going to yes. convince people that they really need to go back right. and clarify their values and live by their values. Well, even looking at a company like Boeing, um, it creates you know airplanes and um, uh, a lot of the space um, craft in our world, and you know it's like they have lost their way because for a long time um, their values were that um, everyone in the whole organization mattered and everyone's voice mattered and when someone said we shouldn't be doing something this way um, people listened you know they stopped what they were doing they stopped the design they stopped the manufacturing and they said what is it we should not be doing and um, clearly with this last crisis that they've had with their 737 MAX um, there's evidence that there were people who said, we should not be doing it this way. And there's evidence that other people said, well, it doesn't matter if we shouldn't be doing this way or not, but we're going to, you know, just hide those facts from other people. And so the organization lost the values that were important to it. And, you know, uh, from my perspective, that's a failure of leadership. You know, when leadership has become too removed from what the company is all about and they haven't built systems to support those values and haven't given people the opportunity to live into those values, um, this is what happens, you know. And, and as you say, to repair that, is, it takes... You know, it takes five minutes to lose your credibility, and it takes years to rebuild that. And, um, and you know, it, it will haunt them for a very long time. 
And so they would do well to um, hear and follow what you bring to the world around bringing values into your organization and how to live with them. And, you know, it's... um, And there's so much more we could be talking about, you know, things like the way you have helped entire countries brand themselves out into the world. I mean, that's fascinating to me. Um, We're going to have to do that in our next time that we talk because um, there's so much more to learn from you, Bob, and I'd love to have you back on the show. But between now and then... I would love that show. Thank you. (laughs) Between now and then, people are going to want to know more about you and more about your book. So where can they learn more about you in the book? Uh, the book is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, so if they type my name, Baskin Kalajan, B-A-S-K-E-N-K-A-L-A-Y-J-I-A-N, the, sh- the book shows up both on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And if anyone wants to reach me directly, my email is vaskengk at gmail.com. That's V-A-S-K-E-N-G-K at gmail.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions or inquiries you may have or advice you may need after reading the book. And if you're stuck with something having to do with your new startup or a new business that you want to create, new venture, and so on, we're happy to... Uh, give you advice. The book is Brand Real, the Startup Entrepreneur's Guide to Effective Branding and Building Values-Based Organization. And the brilliant mind is Vaskan Kalajian. Vaskan, it's an honor to have had you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shell. It's been an honor being knowing you and being with you here on the show. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week.